<laughs> My G is centered. Alrighty. Okay, this is going to be. We're only going to do. This is. We're. Fuck it. We're going to do it live. We're only doing one opening. Alright, let's do it. Okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Comic Book Dungeon Podcast. I am Mark. I'm coming to you from deep underground in the Comic Book Dungeon. And I am Cruz, coming to you from slightly above ground in the Wolf Spider Arena. Yeah, we're uh, glad to have everybody. If this is your first time, we're the Comic Book Dungeon Podcast. We talk about. Mostly Marvel here. We talk about their lesser-known titles, some of their more unusual title, titles, some of their more esoteric titles. Yep, and also some indie stuff here and there. Uh, what are what, What's our main track right now? I think it's uh, it's the Astonishing Adventures, War of the Worlds with Kill Raven right now. But I, th- the, I think this is a special episode, right? Yes, it is the uh, late 70s Amazing Adventures uh, issues featuring Kill Raven. Uh, you're joining us about halfway through that, Ron, but every once in a while we take a break from that. We had some of my favorite episodes for Punish Sember, where we covered some of the uh, Punisher holiday specials, and this is a, uh, a grab bag episode, a potpourri episode, where we just went through things that we were interested in, a couple books that we, uh, we both uh, were interested in, and the other has not read, so we're going to describe those to, the, uh, to our co-hosts and to you. But this is an exciting episode because we uh, both independently have been on the con circuit. That's right. I went down to uh, Comic-Con Revolution in the Inland Empire of California, and you went to the uh, Motor City Comic-Con? Yes. And uh, it's you would think it is in Detroit. It is not in Detroit. It is in Novi, Michigan. What? Yes. The Suburban oh. Showcase in, uh, in Novi, Michigan. And, and we both were uh, we were both schlocking around as members of the press, which was a unique perspective for me. This was uh, <laughs> this is actually really exciting for me. By the time I got to the press room at C two E two, it was closed. I actually hung out in the press room for a few minutes at uh, the uh, the Motor City Comic Con, and this makes me sound like an asshole, but it made me feel like such a baller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was. Uh... I, I, I feel that, you know, I mean, it was pretty cool. I was as I was walking on the show floor, you know, I'd be looking at stuff and uh, what and maybe this is why it happened so much. But like one person was trying to give me a pitch and then she saw my press badge. And she's like, oh, oh, you're press. Never mind. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Never mind. I mean, are, are, is the comic book press just a bunch of jaded douchebags that walk around with their fucking noses held up by and don't want to hear your ideas or what? From what I would imagine. Because this, this is my third time uh, going with a press pass. It's the first time that my press pass, pass actually had the name of the outlet I was from. But what I imagine is that most, most people wearing a press pass going through there, they're either you know, assholes like us who are like, pretending to be legitimate press who are reporting from a comic book podcast. But I think you have a good chance of these people mostly being... Say, like, oh, I'm from, like, say, for me, the Detroit Free Press or the Oakland News or something like that. I want to uh, talk to a couple fans. I'm going to take a few pictures. I only want to be there 20 minutes just to get that stuff accomplished and leave. They're not actual fans of the medium. So I could see maybe if you're selling your wares, why you would think, like, an, like a local reporter would not give a crap about your book. Fair enough. That is a perspective I had not given much thought about. Because your perspective has given me a lot of food for thought about my perspective. Because the last two cons that I went to, 
I've had the best like times ever. And the last two cons, I went wearing a Comic Book Dungeon podcast t-shirt. And I specifically had people this con reading my t-shirt and like waving me over to talk to me. I've never had more fun at cons. And I'm wondering if that's because people have started to treat me differently. They're like, oh, because every con I go to, I don't care as much about like the media guests or like people selling like swords, like that sort of stuff. I'm talking to those indie comic publishers. That is what I go there for. That is where I spend 100% of my time. So, unless there's an interesting panel. So, right. I'm I'm wondering if now people have started to subtly shift their attitude, and that's why people are being maybe more engaging or outgoing with me, and maybe that's why my attitudes have slightly changed in response. And I told my wife, that makes me like a little bit uncomfortable, because I don't you know, I want to observe things in their natural state. I don't want to be altering those interactions. And she called me an idiot. Just said, just, you know, you're just there to get, you know, these people, you talk to these people, get their books to talk about them. It doesn't really matter. And then she chided right. me for not taking pictures. Yeah, I could, I could definitely uh, see that. Um, you know, the different level of engagement once they, they realize, I guess it's not so much that you're a part of the press, but it that it's that you're a part of the enthusiast press. Exactly. You know, I, I mean, I, I do strongly feel that there is a, a big differenti- uh, differentiation there. And in being part of the enthusiast press, it, it already means that you, you already, you've already kind of bought in a little bit into what they've got. So they'll be more than will, you know, they'll be more enthusiastic about showing you and pitching, you know, their ideas versus, you know, some freaking brand new fucking guy at, some local newspaper that got fucking stuck with going to the geek convention to fucking, you know, do a fucking puff piece about, you know, people in cosplay shit. Oh, yeah. I talked to a lot of creators who they were newer to the con circuit. They had only been, say, doing this for a year or less. I think I talked to one or two people where it was like their first or second con. You know, people don't realize just because they haven't heard of the comic book dungeon. I mean, we're a new podcast. We've been doing this only since October. I listen to, like, podcasts where it's, like, the guy, like, the same guys they do indie comic book noise and Marvel comic book noise. Man, those guys have been around cons all around the U.S. and Canada and been doing the con circuit for years and, like, reporting on it. So, I mean, those guys are very, I don't want to say world-weary, but they're very worldly. They have high, or I don't want to say high expectations, but they're very knowledgeable about reporting on books, how cons work, and... I think people kind of, I, I, I wonder if they kind of projected that on us, where when we talked to, I'm going to reference our great interview with the three wise men when they were first doing the con circuit, them trying to figure out the rules. I could definitely see somebody's like, oh man, that guy has like a comic book podcast. He, you know, he talks about me on his show. That could bring a whole bunch of traffic to my site. I mean, this could be a big deal. And I don't think that they necessarily realize that I have that same perspective where I consider us very new to the game. I mean, every every time we record a show, I learn something new about how to do this. I, I don't think people necessarily realize we're in that same sort of insecure place and kind of very new at this. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, there's definitely a bunch of... Uh... Yeah, as far as the podcasting aspect goes, uh, th- there's definitely a bunch of uh, tips and input I've been listening to from more seasoned podcasters about how to how, how to make the, the the show flow more smoothly and eliminate a bunch of the dead air. And yes, I'm trying to reduce the ums. <laughs> you know what? 
I've had a complete renaissance on that. I've spent so much time trying to get the ums out of our speech. They've started to creep back into the podcast. Because I realize, because sometimes when we, we, both you and me, we'll throw an um or two out there. That's okay, especially when I eliminate it, it sounds really artificial. But a lot of times you and me will have like a brain fart where it's, ooh, eh, uh, uh, and then I'll edit all of that shit out. But every, and um, once in a while, a like, a you know, you know what? That's not going to stop somebody from listening to our show. And my wife has been on fire with suggestions for the show. And one thing I did want to talk about is I think there's a lot of good things coming around the corner. I think we're going to look back at this point in our podcast and kind of laugh at it as how it sounds. One of the things that I'm looking at to improve our sound, it's within the next couple months, we are going to invest in a mixer. And with that, I'm just going to stop. Like, I'm not using the PS3 headset today. I'm using a PS4 headset. I'm hoping that gives me a little bit better quality. But when I upgrade to the mixer... It's only like $30 for like the professional sounding microphone that can actually like plug into that headphone style jack Uh or microphone style jack. I think we're going to start to get better quality audio. And something that I was really surprised when I went to the con, I had cards this time. One of the first people I ever talked to in my capacity as a podcaster, her name was Casey Pierce and I reviewed her Nora books way back in like November she was at this con, and we talked for a few minutes, and it was funny. One of the first things she'd asked me is if I had a card. You know, I just went up to her, like, wearing, like, a Marvel shirt or something, and I'm like, I do a podcast. She's like, really? Like, do you have a card? I'm like, man, I sure don't. That would have been a great idea, and I kind of told her that. I'm like, you're the first person to ever ask me for a card, and I was able to, like, I have a card now. I've been giving them out all day, and I, again, I think that was one of the reasons I got a real different response from people this time. I think if you guys remember our C2E2 episode, which actually, it hasn't aired as the t- at the time we're recording this. Uh, it should actually be airing tomorrow. We're going up on the, the Podient page. But, I mean, that was a huge con, and I only picked up two or three books. I have a fat stack of uh, indie local books here. And with every one that I picked up, I gave out a card. And I talked to a lot of these creators, and I can't tell you, how many creators said, like, man, I would, yeah, let me know what you think of the book. You know, if you talk about it on the show and you guys enjoy it, yeah, I'd love to come on. So where we just aired a few weeks ago, we just uploaded our first uh, interview with uh, the three wise men, which if my wife and my mom or any any in, any indication, people have <laughs> loved it. Well, my, my wife gave me the feedback. She's like, you sounded real awkward at the beginning of that episode, but you, you did better. She thought you did great, Cruz, but she's like, yeah, you sounded a little bit nervous in the beginning. But, man, my mom gushed about it. And if you can't get <laughs> a neutral neutral feedback from your mom, where, uh, then where else is it going to come from? Exactly. But I think we're going to start to have a lot more of these guest shows. Because that was one thing Then I started this podcast. I thought it was going to be an opportunity to start going out to more shows and to start interacting more with the uh, the people in it. And I think it's we're starting to finally realize that we're... Especially, I love that you're West Coast and I'm more, uh, you know, the Midwest. We have a two totally different markets. We're going to start to get totally, we're, we're going to be able to start exposing people to these local creators that they ordinarily wouldn't have access to. And that was one of the reasons I wanted to start the show. So I'm real excited. Yeah, um, I'm still figuring out what is local out here because uh, the, the CCR 
con was my first comic book related con. My only other one I ever went to was that. Remember when we went to BotCon like way back in the day? I do remember that. I remember the Transformers con that we went to, and it was a little sad. It was. <laughs> it was. I tell everyone that story. Oh, man, yeah. Oh, yeah, we went to Hooters, too, didn't we? I think so. Yeah, we did. I remember the garlic fries. They were good. But, yeah, so, you know, I, I'm still kind of figuring out what's local. But every every everyone there, you know, like there wasn't a, a guy or, 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 or somebody stand, sitting there with what looked like something that looked like it was their first outing. You know, there wasn't something that there wasn't anything that screamed like this is uh, an indie bookmaker here because everybody had at least five or six different freaking books. They were, they were trying to market and they all had like a long running series or something that had like at least, you know, six to a dozen individual issues ready to go. Everything was super polished. It was crazy. I mean, like the only one that was like a, the only one that had only two books was uh, Dark Planet Comics, which is the one I actually ended up talking to and, and picked up two of their books. I have found there's like three different categories that most of the the indie publishers at the uh, the smaller indie publishers fit into. You have people like say the Three Wise Men who they're not affiliated with say a bigger publisher. And they have, sometimes maybe they're newer, they'll have one book, or they've been doing this for, you know, a couple of years, and they'll have a few books, but it's not through any sort of other publisher, and they're self-publishing. You have people who are a smaller producer, so they might only have one or two issues of their own book, but you'll see at their booth, they have like four or five other books, because it's like, oh, maybe I write this book, it's, it's like Little Red Riding Hood, but it's from the, uh, like the wolf standpoint, oh, and he has sing attacks. So, but if you're not into that, here's a book about, like, a vampire detective or, like, a zombie cheerleader that are put out by, like, the publisher who I published through. And then you have, like, the people who've been doing this for, like, a real long time who don't have a, a publisher, but they have, like, 30 of their own books because they are just really prolific writers. And I have found people usually, most people have fit into those three categories that I speak to. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and in hindsight, I can, I can definitely see that. And, uh, you know, next time I'll, I'll end up taking it under advisement. Um, there, there was also the, uh, and I don't know if you, if you get them out where you're at, but for me, there was at least three booths that were like really huge SJW booths. Like, it, it was super, like, anti-bullying or, like, gender tolerance or, or something along those lines uh, that were interesting to kind of go there and, and uh, see what they had uh, to offer. I don't think I've seen booths like that. I know they have, there's, like, an anti-bullying booth. If you feel harassed, I've seen some of the cons, like, have that or have somebody walking around, like, oh, you know, like, you report any weird thing to me. Because a lot of cons, you might have people wearing more skimpy costumes and then you might have people who just don't necessarily understand hey guy that's not an invitation keep your hands to yourself so it's good that we have people who are making sure things are running smoothly because just that's not an invitation but i've also been to cons where they've had some really cool like sjw panels or panels on like oh you know lgbt characters in comics or gender uh representation in comics that's becoming more and more of a, a big thing as the medium kind of comes into itself which is cool 
Yeah, I, I'm actually gonna because I I still have my uh, my program from the con, so it actually has all the names of some of these places. So I think I might do a little follow up because I remember Prism Comics was the one where they actually had a, a a whole book specifically, like a whole yeah a whole book line that had a couple issues already out for it that was covering like the whole bullying issue. And if I remember correctly, and I'm gonna have to double check, I think I think it was um, Resilient. It was either Resilience comic books or something like that, where it was a transgender lady that was the front person for them, and it was a a, a very trans focused. Well, it, it was it, the booth was very trans focused. I don't. I, I I kind of got what the mission statement was for their their branding. I just hadn't gotten any deeper into it. If anybody couldn't tell, we're we're a podcast that leans more in the left direction. Really? I have noticed. And if this is just, just I guess, out of, a little out of nowhere, but if anybody's looking for a, uh, a comic series that I think has some pretty good, say, LGBT and trans uh, representation, the Angela series, like Mar- since Marvel acquired the Angela character, she's had several series. They've all been... Uh, Really good. The last one, The Queen of Hell, kind of lost a few beats for me, but still definitely readable. But Angela, who knew, was that she's actually, uh, she was in a lesbian relationship with a female character. And that we learn as that story arc uh, started going, I think it was in the Angela Assassin of, uh, uh, Asgardian Assassin book, that her female uh, partner was actually a male angel who was transformed into a woman by choice. So I, it's some really good, I think, trans and uh, LGBT uh, representation in the industry. And I know she's kind of a divisive, I, I've heard, character where people either like her or hate her. I have, like, her figure. Man, I waited months for that figure to come out. She's prominently displayed here in the comic book dungeon. She's probably, hands down, my favorite new Marvel character of, like, the last ten years. Big fans. If you like a badass character and just those sorts of uh, issues are important to you, I would recommend anything that Angela's in. Cause she's, she was in the Guardians of the Galaxy for a while. She's had a couple of her own solo runs. And any issue she's in, she's kicking ass. So... Hangs out with Gamora all the time. Some good shit there, so I highly recommend. Awesome. I'm on a tangent. I apologize. Oh, no. No, absolutely not. No, no. That's what we're all about. We're all about fucking tangents here. Um, oh. So uh, we, we can touch back on the cons, but uh, what else have you been up to? Well, I think I, I, I texted you a picture, and, I mean, maybe we could put that on the Instagram page. Of Normally, I, I leave a con with only three or four books. I have something like, what, like 20 or something here? Uh, dude, that is a fat load of freaking books. And yes, you're right. I think I should. Uh, I'll, I'll, You know what? I will put that up tomorrow morning because uh, yeah, I've been reading stuff about metrics and like in the morning and in the evening are the best times to put stuff on Instagram. You will get more views. Go figure That's, that shit out. Yeah. Never would have thought of that. But yeah, I, I kept telling people at the con when I gave them, like, because usually it's I'll talk to them about their book, I'll ask them questions. I'm real kind of snobby. You know, I try not to be a jerk about it, but, you know, I'm only going to pick up a book that I'm interested in. And I, I have a pretty, I think, narrow view. I, despite being like a real left-leaning guy, I'm a bit of a sociopath who just loves violence and just gore and 
things of that nature. So those are the books or horror-esque books or science fiction slash horror books. I tend to gravitate towards those. So I'll start to engage people with the things that look interesting. And if I buy the book, I'm like, okay, you know, you got my spiel. Here's my spiel. Here's what I do with the podcast. And I give them my card. And like I said, I, I was super surprised how many people seem genuinely interested about like, yeah, like hit me up uh, after you read the book. But yeah, if you guys, like if you and your co-host or whatever really like it, I'd love to come on the show and talk about it. And just to jump briefly away from the con for a second, I don't think I've mentioned this before because I didn't want to jinx it or make promises we couldn't back up, but I don't want to name any names, but I've actually, I put out some feelers to other podcasts and it didn't come together for this show, but it looks like in the near future, when we do another one of these grab bag shows, I have two other podcasts who, who uh, through email, have told me they would be interested in appearing and talking about some of their weird books out of their long boxes or just whatever weird books that they want to talk about. So it really feels like, to me, we've turned a page in the podcast. So much of this I've thought of us as like new and inexperienced. We've been doing some really great numbers lately with our downloads, and now we're starting to get a lot more people in the podcasting industry and the comic book industry wanting to get on here and engage with us. And that's been my goal and trying to get more audience participation has been my goal. We're still working on that, but man, we're again, it just, it feels like we're turning a page. I bought a web address. So this is the first uh, episode where I'll tell you, if you want to find our episodes, you can just go to comicbookdungeonpodcast.com. It just goes to our podient page now. But in the next couple months, I'm going to be building a website. And so pretty soon here, you're going to go to a website and hopefully get something pretty pretty polished. So I'm real excited that we're, we're doing things to make this a bit more refined. And I just love the direction it's going. But back to the uh, Motor City Comic Con, because Novi, the Novi people will break my legs if I don't plug it. In the past, this has been one of my, I, I'd say, least favorite cons. And it wasn't like it was horrible. It's just... You know, it's a smaller con, but it's not as small and intimate as some of the other cons I go to. And I just had such a good experience this time. And one of the things that I realized I really liked about this con that they've done really well, it's for somebody like me who haunts all, like, the local and the smaller creator tables, if you go to C2E2, the thing is, like, the size of a football field. And it's, like, you'll have a local creator next to the Dark Horse booth next to somebody selling, like, steampunk hats, next to, uh, like, a, uh, somebody selling video game controllers. So you have to walk, like, the entire floor to find these local creators. And what no, uh, the Motor City Comic Con did that was super smart, it's they don't have, like, the say, the sellers mixed in with the creators. All the creators are in, like, one corner there. So it was, you know, they're not all comic creators, some of them are selling like toys they made or they're selling like actual books they made or things of that nature. But it's all those creators in one section. So it's a lot easier to go like from booth to booth talking to them. That sounds awesome. I am definitely not going to normally when we do these con wrap ups, I go through and review all the books I read. And I was telling people, I'm like, I'm still doing some cleanup. <laughs> like I'm editing the C2EQ episode on and off like it's uh, you know, like the, the week of this con. So it's going to be probably a while before I'm, my goal is for the next couple shows 
to have several of these books read, and I'll review them as we go. Man, my biggest fear, and I'm not sure if we should talk about this on the air. We talked about it a little bit last night. We were supposed to record. We had some technical issues, which this happens, but yeah. I'm hoping not to jinx this, but so far our technical issues have not resulted in lost audio because we, we double record. So if anything yeah. happens, we're usually safe. And like the interview, you had actually lost like the first like 10 minutes of your audio and we had to go to that the the emergency measure yeah so, so far the plan <laughs> yeah i'm not i because i i've listened to podcasts where they're like man we lost this like three times man i'm just i'm quitting yeah uh it's it, it we, we do manage to keep a little bit of uh, redundancy uh so that that saves saves us for sure you know, between uh, you double recording and then I keep a recording of at least my audio on this end. And if we have to, because, I mean, uploading, it's been a fucking pain in the ass to you sometimes. And I don't know what Google Drive does when you upload shit that makes it so it's unfucking usable. But there there has been some times where uh, we've gone back and forth uploading shit like four or five times before it finally sticks. Yeah, that's what created some long episode turnarounds sometimes it's just like you'll keep uploading a file and then when i go to download it part of it's been missing and yeah, yeah that has been such a pain in the ass and so many of the files that you download it will i'll see it on my phone but i won't see it on my laptop or if i go to download it it won't down i keep getting the access denied on my laptop but when if i, I if i pull it up on the google drive app on my phone it downloads perfectly, and then I had to transfer it from my phone to the, the lap. Makes me makes me insane. So I we switched up. We're de- we're using a different cloud service, but again, I'm hoping in the near future when we have the mixer, we won't ever have to do that ever again. You know that, and also you know changing up, uh, you know, using a better compression for uploading and, and reducing file sizes has definitely made it a little easier and more manageable. But uh, yeah. I, um, Back up, back to the con, yeah. Or you, you want yeah. to say something? Um, no, that's fine. We can go back to the con. Um, yeah, I'm real excited just about how many people were just so interested in the possibility of coming on. And normally, I I picked up a couple books maybe outside of my normal comfort zone because again, I feel I'm very choosy. But I mean, this is the first con that I mean, so much of the shit really spoke to me. I'm pretty choosy when it comes to my indie books and. I think it's a real credit to the Motor City Comic Con that they had so many... I mean, I have at least easily six times the books that I pulled from C2E2. So, I mean, this is the first con that I've really walked... I spent more, way more than I thought I was going to. (laughs) And uh, I had so many great conversations. This is kind of a personal aside for me. Uh, Neil uh, Neil Adams was there, and he had actually... He was one of the people who worked on the uh, first appearance of Kill Raven, Amazing Adventures 18. So the Amazing Adventures 18 I have on my wall now, I've got signed by Neil Adams. Nice. That has been such a Kill Raven has been really good for us, and it just it feels good to have that that kind of piece of uh, Kill Raven lore signed. Yeah, you do. You should take a picture and send it to me. Uh, yeah, no problem. Awesome. Um, Not I. I so don't want to get us off track, but I have read. I've read one of the books so far and just going to give that a quick review the guy was super nice and i got into a pretty long conversation with him the book is called rapid city below zero uh it's by josh Dahl, and it's got a real striking cover it's got this 
insane looking chick with ice powers with a larger Hulk character behind her. And it's uh as soon as he told me the premise, it's it's from the villain's perspective and there were double like these villains were pulling a heist and they were double crossed and now she's out for revenge. The uh, first <laughs> issue, you get a lot of kind of her origin, so you don't really get her like Quentin Tarantino uh, rage filled revenge plot yet. It just sets up what happened. And it's a smaller issue one. I think it has less page count than the rest of the issues. But I mean, it was definitely something that I'm going to be going on Comixology to pick up like the next couple books in the series. Real excited. Like the main character, Icicle, really excited to see her cut loose and uh, go crazy trying to kill the people who, uh, who double-crossed her. So the book is Rapid City Below Zero through Monolith Comics, and the creator is, uh, again, Josh Dahl. So uh, real excited to see where this one goes. Because as soon as he said he's like, it's a villain, it's from the villain's perspective, and it's a, uh, a revenge story, sold. That's could not find a book more tailor-made for me, so I'm quite excited. Okay. Uh, okay, well, I'll have a go at it. Um, oh, cool. So the the one the one booth I actually did spend some time talking with and uh, you know getting their pitch uh, was uh, hawking this book called Silver, which is uh, written and drawn by Stephen Frank, who is or he was one of the lead animators on the Iron Giant and uh, a couple other animated films and stuff like How to Train Your Dragon and all that shit. It's uh, the synopsis they gave me was. Uh, this is set in the 1930s. It is a it, it, it's in the Bram Stoker Dracula universe kind of, and it's a heist where they're going to Dracula's castle to steal all the silver, and everything goes to shit. Now I read the first volume, and I I, I will give uh, Mr. Frank credit where credits due. Uh, the art is amazing for a black and white. I normally don't like black and white, but uh, his his uh, drawings are pretty damn good. Uh, the storyline is uh, it is very much like you're 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 watching like an Ocean's Eleven style movie unfold. You know, you you're starting to see this team of uh, scoundrels kind of getting together, and at the very end of the first volumes, they start introducing the supernatural element of it with the vampires and everything, where uh, where, where they're finding their vampire slayer, who who just happens to fall into this by accident, and they're getting ready to mount their expedition. So shit hasn't really hit the fan yet, but uh, it it has potential for everything to get really, really bad for all the characters involved, which I am anticipating. I saw that you had, uh, I think it was on Instagram. No, you had texted me the, the uh, picture, and the cover looks awesome. Yeah, the so. covers are, the cover art's great. Um, I bought two volumes of it, and, and now I'm thinking to myself, well, uh, I need to order the rest, because... The, the storyline's been really – it's been really interesting, really well-written. I mean, I, I feel like some of the characters are archetypes, but they're done very well with a uh, a measure of polish uh, that's uh, not too often seen with uh, establishing a character that quickly, you know? It's 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 been good. I, I, I definitely like the style, um, the, the, the way uh, Steven uh, – 
likes to frame his uh, panels because he, he is primarily a filmmaker. So the the framing of the panels and, and, and how he tries to convey motion and, and, and link them together with whether or not he's got to add some dialogue in to, to, to link two panels together or not and so on and so forth are are a little different than what I've been used to in uh, comic books. Yeah, I, I look forward to hearing more on the series. It's a real cool concept. It's very, like you said, cinematic. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, and I'll, I'll bring the books for you to check out um, when you come down next weekend. Yeah, I, I, I'm i glad that we both got to do this, and I, I know I had a blast. I don't know if I should mention a couple people, just because I, there were a few people there who really made me feel like welcome. Like Dirk Manning... He's a really big name, like in this local, like Midwest area. He does. He's a prolific writer, and we've talked about some of his books. Uh, I think back in November, I had a long conversation with him, and as somebody kind of just breaking into this, he's done. Uh, he's always. I've seen him a lot at shows. He's always really help uh, friendly. He's again spent a lot of time talking to him. Casey Pierce. She was the first person who ever asked if I had a card, and I came up flat-footed, like, "No, that'd be a good idea." And there was a guy, I, he was newer to the uh, circuit, uh, Ron Shelby, and it was his illustrator, Mindy McPeak, and he uh, has these two alien uh, abduction books, Pure Human. I haven't read them yet, so maybe this is a bit premature, but I probably spent at least 30 minutes talking to him, because I, I as a teenager and in my, in my early 20s, I read every book on aliens and alien abduction, and kind of... Being in the, the psychology field now, I have a bit of a different perspective on that and the mechanisms behind it. But that was what I spent a lot of my youth reading about. And he, he, he was the same with him. So being able to talk to somebody where like, oh, you mean like Betty and Barney Hill? And oh, David Jacobs, have you read this? And what do you think of that? Never had a conversation with another actual person who was fluent in that. So the fact that he was able to spend like 30 minutes talking to me about it. Uh, him and uh, Mindy McPeak. Uh, so Ron Shelby and Mindy uh, Mc, uh, Sorry, Mindy McPeak was real fun, and I appreciate them taking that time, all that time to discuss that stuff. Real passionate about the book, so I think that these are going to be my my next up for next week or our next episode to talk about. Real excited. All right. Awesome. So uh, let's see what else. What else uh, at the uh, Comic Con Revolution? I. Uh... I sat in on a, on a panel. I was really excited because um, I, I only got a chance to go there for one day because I had some family stuff going on on Saturday. So uh, there was a speaker that I was really interested to sit down and, and, and sit on the panel for, and it was uh, Timothy Zahn, which if you're any sort of a fan of the Star Wars Expanded Universe – uh, Timothy Zahn is the motherfucker that actually made it legit. Uh, in uh, the early, yeah, early '90s, he wrote the Thrawn, what's, what's colloquially known as the Thrawn trilogy, which was uh, *Heir to the Empire*, *Dark Force Rising*, and *The Last Command*. That took Star Wars expanded universe writing from schlocky kind of. B-level sci-fi writing to Time's best-selling, awesome, connected story arcs that actually developed the characters a little bit further. And uh, he, he did talk a little bit about 
about what it was like to be granted permission by Lucasfilm to start writing after the events of Return of the Jedi and, and, and some of his templates for, for why he created the characters he created and him why he chose to have someone like uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn as the villain and how he contrasted it with Vader and, and all sorts of great stuff. Uh, it was him and uh, Jason Aaron, I think, was the other guy. He does a lot of uh, Marvel Oh, books. no way! Yeah, yeah, Jason Aaron. Yeah, Jason Aaron Red was here, too. fucking hot right now. He is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> he was talking, because he, he recently had a, a run of books with Marvel that he was doing in the Star Wars universe. And uh, he was talking about, you know, he, he was constrained with doing some stuff between uh, A New Hope and... Empire Strikes Back, or you know, so he he was stuck working within the original trilogy. I gotta say, I'm I'm pretty jealous of you right now that you got to see Jason Aaron. I fucking hate Thor. I always just had no interest in him, but his Thor run, he's been on it for like I think something like five years. It's been red hot. It's just been awesome. Jason Aaron is fucking. A, I think he's probably he's one of the lead guys Marvel has now. I mean, he's just he's got the golden touch. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, exactly. A lot, a lot of the people in the audience were asking if uh, if he was, you know, if he had any intentions of going back to uh, to to write Star Wars for Marvel. And yeah, you know, he his express he expressed that he had done everything he had wanted to do. No, not everything he wanted to do. He. He had gotten to lay hands on every character that he would have liked to. He may not have been able to write the stories that he wanted because uh, the the Lucasfilm, uh, how would you call them? The the story group that kind of manages your continuity and all that other stuff, you know, kind of shot down a bunch of ideas. I mean, he had a whole plan for a bunch of Yoda books, uh, but he couldn't he couldn't quite take them out as 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 far as he wanted to. Uh, the one book I do need to go find is he he did a Star Wars book, and it was all about R two D two, and it was R two D two going. Uh, apparently, C three PO gets captured by the Empire, and R two D two stages a one droid assault on a either Star Destroyer or a frigate or something, and proceeds to fucking kick Stormtrooper ass all the way through it with all his R two D two goodness. To rescue C-3PO. The premise sounds fascinating. I would love to fucking read it. But yeah, he he, he had some really great points. And, and it, it was just great watching uh, those two on stage talking about all the ins and outs of working with Lucasfilm. And, you know, how, how the Disney takeover has affected the expanded universe. Tie-ins, you know, different multimedia tie-ins because, you know, I'm... Um, uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn, which is Zahn's character, was used in the Rebels animated series, and Zahn got to write that. And, and, and if he did, he he consulted on it. And there's a whole bunch of cool little little things they were talking about. And another one was, you know, how uh, he one of the first questions, of course, is how do you feel about you know uh, Disney pretty much retconning all the expanded universe uh, content 
and, and he had a very pragmatic answer, which was, "Hey, look, it's someone else's sandbox. I just get to play in it." So it, it was it was a great panel. I had a lot of fun with that one. I I also sat down for the uh, podcast advocacy uh, panel, which. Uh, had uh, a couple of other podcast hosts i think uh, i think radio brendo was the the most notable one uh and uh, we got uh, crashed by ming chen from uh from a comic book man he came in he, he talked to us for a little bit uh at the very end when we got to plug all our shows ming chen did say he liked our name mark he said comic book dungeon sounds fucking awesome so nice <laughs> I mean, we are out there. We're winning hearts and minds. There you go. Uh, so sat in for that one. That was cool. And other than that, it was uh, running around, uh, checking everything out. You know, goggle-eyed like crazy. Um, uh, I did run into a Five Nights at Freddy's character outside of the restrooms. <laughs> That's kind of a callback <laughs> to the interview. It, yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> the three wise men yeah. uh, had reported a... An awkward bathroom encounter with a Five Nights at Freddy's, uh, what do you call them? Uh, Animatronic, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I threw that up on the Instagram account, and and the three wise men guys freaking responded very promptly with, uh, is he still stalking bathrooms? (laughs) And that's when the the cosplayer's mom got on and said, oh, that's my offspring. He's such a good boy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. So yeah, man. The uh, I checked back. It doesn't look like the uh, the the second book, the Kickstarter for the second Motor City Mo book, is up yet. But I'm definitely like haunting that Kickstarter, waiting for that to to go up. Oh, I, dude, it's September, wasn't it? Yeah, I th- I was about to say. I think they said September. So, they said yeah. September, and I'm anxiously awaiting. Yep, we need closure. God damn right, we need fucking closure. What the fuck? <laughs> Oh man, yeah. I'm gonna, I, you know, I think I'm gonna make a, a small campaign to con- consistently harass these guys that we need closure. <laughs> yeah, we need to know how fucking how Mo cleaned that fucking hallway. Exactly. We need to know how Mo cleans the hallway. I want to learn more about his Adora. What do you do with a hooker uh, for a second date when you went mini golfing on the first date? A- exactly. I mean, what? How do you? How do you? How do you take it up a notch? You know, how, what the fuck is up with that scar? I mean, you know, what happened? Did you have a fucking fry cooker accident in McDonald's or something when she was a teenager? What's up with that? She got a little uh, little crazy with a curling iron. There you go. Yeah, yeah. You know, they always tell you you shouldn't sleep with those. <laughs> yes. Sounds quite deadly. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah. Uh, what else? What else? What else? Um... I watched Black Panther again as well. <laughs> well, I, you know, my 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 twins, who are my Marvel movie, movie buddies, uh, for the most part, didn't get to see it because when I watched it originally in theaters, it was for a geek dad's night out. So, of course, we did not bring our offspring with us. So, uh, you know, I rented it as soon as it became available, and I, I watched it with my, my two oldest uh, daughters, and they loved it. Uh, they said Shuri was the shit, and that's their new favorite Marvel character. So I was like, "Fuck yeah!" Um, and, and yeah, that was that. That's about it, really. I, I've been uh, reading a shit ton of uh, of Batman Hush and all the other books I've gotten. So that sums up my weekend. Talking about reading comics, I think it was the last episode I reported 
in uh, Marvel back issues on Marvel Unlimited, I was at about 500. I've gotten that down to 400. Jesus Christ, so, man. Going strong. Well, it's so nice to be able to have that on your phone. Cause it's like, oh, I'm going to take a shit. Like, hey, I can knock out, like, you know, four or five pages here. Like, oh, you're like, I'm waiting for a meeting to start. I can pull this out, like, knock out, like, a third of an issue here. Like, just constantly on the go being able to in places where you normally wouldn't have a comic book to fill those uh those gaps yeah um, i can't do that it's, it's not, I, I and i i think that speaks to our, our different personalities like if i'm gonna sit down and read i dedicate like a good half hour block to reading whatever the fuck i'm gonna read oh i just i feel so overwhelmed like it's crushing me those back issues so yeah it's like any any stolen <laughs> moments it's like five minutes here you know, 20 minutes there, I uh, do what I can. Uh, like, I'm in line at Taco Bell. I'm, like, reading a Spider-Man comic on my phone. Yeah, um, I, I can empathize with that. I I don't think I've ever talked about a movie on uh, the podcast before. I don't watch a lot of movies. It's just, seems like we're always on the go and always doing something, like, my wife and I. We, we don't take a lot of time to... If we're watching something together, which is rare, you know, it's something that we really enjoy, like a TV show. Bad Into the Badlands came back for the third season. If you guys aren't watching that, that show's fucking awesome. Really like where that's going. We're really, both of us, that's one of those shows that we both really enjoy. I don't know anybody who watches Into the Badlands or who's seen it who doesn't enjoy it. We watched, she'd never seen Blade Runner before, so we watched Blade Runner, and she was not a huge fan. But then we watched the second Blade Runner that came out. Last year, Blade Runner 2049. I thought it was a good movie, and you'll see, like, the Rotten Tomatoes is, like, 83 or something. But holy fuck, there was ever a movie that needed editing. It's, like, three hours long. And it's not like it's a fast three hours. Every scene, it's like you just, you're just armchair quarterbacking. Like, yep, didn't need to see that. That wasn't important. That's not a deep. Like, I don't need to see Ryan Gosling staring at, at somebody, like, across the room for four minutes. You got the point across three minutes and 30 seconds ago. Like, you're just being very self-indulgent. But other than that, the, the fact that it was ridiculously too long, it's a good movie. He, he's using the power of his smoldering look. <laughs> Smolder. Oh, I think the only other movie I've ever seen him in was uh, Driver, which, I mean, he has like eight lines in that whole movie. So it was... It's a different experience to see him actually like act in a moat, but uh, he did a he did a good job. Harrison Ford was in it, uh, reprising his role, and uh, we kept waiting for him to uh, Han Solo out. It's <laughs> um, not going to tell you if he does or not. That's uh, that's on you to watch that three hour movie. Yeah, and, it's on my uh, to watch list. The thing that blew my mind. Uh, that I cannot wait to finish the uh, season. I'm waiting for my wife to watch the few, the first two episodes. Was the surprise surprise hit um, that came out of nowhere is Cobra Kai. So you know, I see they've released the episodes on on like regular YouTube. So yeah, the first two yeah are free on YouTube. I would highly recommend those. Yeah, and as soon as my wife catches up, we're gonna do the uh, YouTube red. Yeah, the, I read an article. That because they just released Cobra Kai, I think May second, and since they like re- like that first week they released it, YouTube Red in terms of uh, like numbers beat both Netflix and Hulu. Holy and all shit! On the, all on the strength of Cobra Kai. I it, can see for, it. For for those people who aren't familiar, or 
most pot people I think who listen to podcasts gen to tend to skew younger. Karate Kid, want to say, came out in '84, so it's you know it's an older movie. I'm not talking about the Jackie Chan one. We're talking about the original, you know, Mr. Miyagi, <laughs> um, Pat Morita. Pat Morita, Ralph. Ma- yeah. Ralph. Uh, oh, what was that kid? Ralph Macchio. Was that his name? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Man, he. Uh, so the story it takes place in modern time. So it's like thirty odd years later where it the main character the main character is Johnny I think his name's Johnny Lawrence he was the kid who fought uh the karate uh Daniel karate son. kid Daniel yeah Daniel son at the end of the movie the sweep the leg kid um so you get to see he's an adult where his life uh took uh the path his life took and he he decides to restart the Cobra Kai dojo and it's funny, like, because the first episode, it's all about him. And then the next episode, it's more from, like, Daniel's perspective. It's real interesting to see them as adults and how life has kind of ground both of them down in different ways. And neither one of them, I'd say, there's not a good guy or a bad guy. They're both, I would definitely not call Johnny Lawrence a good guy, but it's, he's easy to empathize with in some ways. And then Daniel just seems in some ways like the douchiest guy, even though he's more like, I'd say, a traditional good guy. But just to take a concept that could have been so cheesy and is just funny and engaging and I can't wait to finish, it's... If you're not watching it, just go on YouTube and at least give the first episode uh, just a whirl. It's great. And I heard it's already been renewed for uh, uh, for a second season. I mean, within a week or two of it coming out, they renewed it because of how popular it is. Popular doesn't always mean good. But man, if you like if you like the original Karate Kid and you have fond memories of this, this pays a lot of really good lip service to the original. But just it's funny, it's great, it's I can't say good enough good stuff about it. Check it out. Don't be a bitch. Check it out. Awesome. Sweep the leg. Yes. <laughs> Strip the flesh, salt the wound. <laughs> mm. Ah, okay. Water's good. So I yeah, probably shouldn't have had that big thing of Mountain Dew. Probably not. Probably not. Yeah, I I, I kept it down to uh, one cup of slightly turbocharged char- uh, turbocharged <laughs> coffee and a large bottle of water because you know sleep. You can't you can't look down on my Mountain Dew consumption. You can't follow it, man. I didn't have a Dew. I just had some coffee. <laughs> I don't. I'm not looking down at it. <laughs> I am by no means looking down at it. Dude, These I'm are the, comparable. I'm the guy that can fucking drink like a quad shot Starbucks and they immediately go to sleep. You know, caffeine, it really has no effect on me unless I way over fucking do it. And by that point, I get so jittery, I'm not going to fucking sleep for, you know, at least another eight hours. So I'm not just, I'm just not going to sleep. Your eye twitching is keeping me up, Mark. Yeah, those, uh, I'm, I'm not unfamiliar with those times. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> we were playing a game of use your words on the Switch, like, eight or nine months ago, and it's like a it's like a party game like the Jackbox and it's it will give you prompts and then people vote like for the best way to like they cut you come up with a solution like a funny catchphrase to go with it and people vote for what's the best and my wife won one it was the how do you know you've had too much Mountain Dew and what she put in was your because your name is Mark and that got like 100% of the votes <laughs> awesome awesome oh man oh. 
I think we've done quite a thorough job, and now it's actually time for the the potpourri. The potpourri. Yeah, when you first said potpourri, I thought poopery, which thought about shit hammocks. And yeah, you know what, dear listeners, um, shit hammocks. Google it. Trust me, it's it's a fucking rabbit hole. I just regret going down. It's funny, I did that, and it just showed a picture of the White House. <laughs> Oh shit, that's great. I'm, I'm honestly surprised we haven't gotten a bunch of uh, one star reviews. Like fuck these social justice like liberal motherfuckers. So. Mm. But not yet. But not yet. I'm sure it's. That's when we know we've made it when our podcast is succeeding. When we get some alt right fucking uh, hate. There you go. Yeah, they're gonna be freaking drawing little uh, little swastikas in the freaking review comments and telling us what kind of asshats we are and how we can go fuck ourselves and if we don't like it get out that's always a good argument if you don't like it get out <laughs> you mean like you guys did for the 8 years you were crying about obama right fucking who's a snowflake now damn it yeah i mean so far the only negative feedback we got was uh uh, all the hate mail I got after our interview where I uh, I made uh, a few comments that could have been considered disparaging of G.I. Joe and uh, and Ghostbuster pod, uh, a cosplay. And all, those only came from two co- uh, crackpots with the screen name General Hawk and Slimer666. <laughs> However, there was uh, Gozer the Gozerian who just spammed me with love. So I don't know, it's just great. Great job. I agree. Fuck those guys. So somebody loved it. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I just I just watch out when you see the freaking uh, Ecto one cruising around your house over and over and over again. There might be a problem. It is white ambulance just keeps circling the block menacingly and coming back. <laughs> there's a Willy, an, there's a Willie's Jeep that just keeps doing laps too. <laughs> I was gonna say an improbable looking military vehicle. <laughs> It just keeps going around. Yeah, I mean, I, who, who knew half tracks were street legal? What the hell's going on? I uh, I felt a little bit bad when I had listened to the interview again because I kind of blamed fake news and alt or and like the Kellyanne Conway alt fact bullshit on cosplayers. And I may have said, I don't care how many lights are on your backpack, you're not a fucking Ghostbuster. <laughs> so when I listened to those back, I'm like, I. I can see how these would be considered uh, a bit disparaging. And so as a uh, peace offering, I had in the show notes kind of mentioned like, oh, you can find these guys here. Because I, man, if that's, if that's what you want to do, and it's cool. And a lot of, I saw a lot of the, uh, the Ghostbusters at the Motor City Comic Con. Yeah, I was not trying to be a dick. I just sometimes get in a, get in a role and I uh, say things that maybe to somebody else could be. Yeah, uh, I saw the t- the Southern California chapter of Ghostbusters. Uh, they were they were out there in force, along with uh, the five hundred first Legion was uh was also out there freaking doing their Star Wars cosplay, and they had like a, a Mandalorian Mercenaries Association <laughs> freaking bounty hunters there too. I would love if they did like charity work. It's like you go to. Uh like a blood drive and everybody who's like taking blood is like wearing Mandalorian armor or it's like they're at the children's hospital making balloon animals. And you know, they have like Wookiee pelts and uh, like lightsabers from slain Jedi's on their belts. The 501st uh, it actually does do that. Um, That's awesome. 
uh, I another podcast I used to listen to. Um, They're like chat. bathing the elderly. Well, I don't know about bathing the elderly and how how hands on they do it, but uh, one of the one of the hosts of uh, In Game Chat. He he is part of the five hundred first, and he's he's an Air Force guy, and he's really big into the cosplay aspect of it. And you know, one of the five hundred first outreach things is they go to children's hospitals. You know, as a you know, like a little pick me up for the kids. You know, they have a midget that goes in an R two D two unit, and they fucking cart him around. Uh, and you know, they've got a couple guys that, that fucking you know cosplay as Ewoks and shit like that. So, but yeah, they, they go around and, you know, they kind of, you know, hang out with the kids, cheer them up, you know? So there, there is actually some, some cosplayer outreach out there in some of the bigger organizations. I think, I don't know about the Ghostbusters. I mean, and you shove a proton pack up someone's butt and take their temperature rectally. Who knows? (laughs) The uh, uh, the point of this segment was me for me to make amends. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Was that was that disparaging to the Ghostbusters? I just you've opened this whole door for me because now I'm imagining like there's like a like a retirement home where there's like a bunch of people like dressed as uh, uh, imperial officers or stormtroopers like trying to like. Oh, where would you like your TV moved? Like to some World War II vet who was like, pretty sure this guy is some sort of Nazi. <laughs> Come on, there's more things similar to a like an SS uniform than uh, and a, an Imperial officer than dissimilar. Yeah, so you can see how somebody like an 80 year old World War II veteran would might be mildly uncomfortable. Oh, oh, oh! Jerry's dear. come for me. Okay, so. <sighs> So at the at the uh, the the Tim Zahn uh, Jason Aaron freaking or uh, panel right, uh, someone when we had open questions, someone asked Zahn. He said, "What do you think uh, Th- Thrawn and Mara Jade would have to say about the uh, the First Order? You know, from the from the new Star Wars movies and Zahn." went on like a five minute long fucking rant because like he 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 started his answer with well i really hate to say this but i think it would be summed up in one word incompetent (laughs) that's that's not fair you can't look at the stormtroopers and be like yeah that was a crap team of fucking uh high-speed military individuals (laughs) i'm not a i don't like the new star like the the new star wars movies but to say one group is more or less competent than the other, I think is some revisionist history. I, no, no, I think he had valid points. Every, you know, he backed his statement up. Uh, you know, he, he said, uh, let's see, uh, Phasma doesn't know what the fuck she's doing. You know, she doesn't know if she's coming or going. I forget the name of the freaking red-haired fucking Imperial guy, but he's a blowhard. Uh, well, Snoke proved that he was easy to deceive. Uh, Kylo Ren is just basically emo teenage Darth Vader with less control, and he's nowhere near as scary. Uh, and has a horse face. <laughs> yes. Um, he looks like fucking Better A Bill. I mean, anyway. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, he, he broke it down, and he went on this fucking good long rant about how he feels... Uh, the character of Thrawn and Jade would view the uh, the current state of affairs in the Star Wars universe. 
can I just clarify something for a second? Go ahead. If we rewind the video, or the audio of this podcast back about thirty minutes, you were regaling me with a story of R two D two an astrometrics droid, not only outsmarting but <laughs> mounting a res- a single handed rescue and defeating an entire star destroyer versus like uh full of the emperor and em- em- the empire's finest. <laughs> and now we're saying. Man, those guys were awesome compared to these new guys. Again, I dropped off oh. the Star Wars bandwagon, so all right. it's all right, all right. It's just it's weird. Do you see what it's okay? There's a weird How can I phrase? For me? Uh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna get this. I'm gonna get this into a point where where I think we'll we'll see it. Okay, so the Empire is uh, George Bush Jr. and the new or the First Order is Trump. Hashtag not my storm. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 like that. It's like we're looking back at freaking H. You know, oh fuck, which one's Junior? Is he Herbert Walker Bush or whatever? Either which way, we we look back at Bush Junior like, oh, things were so much better than no. The fucking Bush Junior was a fucking train wreck too. But he just wasn't as just completely as incompetent as fucking Trump was. <laughs> Is. The, the train wreck didn't fly off the rails and then land on a children's hospital. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, I mean, at least fucking uh, Bush Jr. had the sense to leave all the decapitated children in foreign countries. Is that that sounds like an idea for maybe a Star Wars comic that uh, Lucas just did not want to okay? <laughs> oh, they were, they, were, they were a bunch. <laughs> Yeah, R2 cannot have a necklace of ears as, like, four trophies to take for these stormtroopers. No. Ah, oh, fuck, man. Yeah. We, sh- we should record at, like, 2 in the morning on work nights all the time. Oh. Man, I just feel like we're in the zone. Oh, fuck. Oh, we, we are going back and forth at it. And uh, I, I, I do need to find that fucking book. I want to buy that fucking book, and I want to read it. We're off in the fucking weeds now, yeah. but... uh. Do you remember Dark Horse used to do a series called like uh like Star Wars Tales or like yeah or yeah yeah I've got a couple of them somewhere yeah I have a bunch and those were like my favorite and my absolute favorite one was called Apocalypse Endor and it was like a stormtrooper like twenty years after Return of the Jedi in a bar <laughs> where people were making fun of like. We saw, yeah, it was real weird for us to be sitting at home, like on Coruscant, and watching like the Empire, like, the Empire's finest, get like their butt, their asses kicked by these uh, walking teddy bears. <laughs> and so he talks about like what it was really like, and how like you'd see them on patrol, and like the last guy, he would just get grabbed and like pulled into the trees, and they would find his uh, like head on a spike later, and they're like, yeah, we'd find them bones, like with gnawed on bones days later, and we think that when they they'd eat him live and that they were trying to take like the guys with like spirits into them and how they would play the drums 24 hours a day to like to fuck with our heads. And <laughs> it was super fun. Just like the, uh, how evil, like the, uh, being stationed there, like how, how fucked up it was and how evil like the Ewoks really were. And like the gorilla tactics that he used to fuck with the stormtroopers. Yeah. Um, Jason Aaron was talking about uh, his his run on when he was doing uh, some Vader books, and there was a story arc called uh, Vader Down, where you know he gets to write Vader in a way that demonstrates why he had the reputation that he has in the original trilogy. So basically, the premise is is like like Vader's freaking 
ship or Star Destroyer, whatever the fuck he's on, he gets shot down, and Vader's the only survivor, and he lands on a planet full of rebels, and he proceeds to just fucking destroy the fuck out of all of them. And he he says he got to like really cut loose and show a really brutal side of uh, Vader that you didn't get to see. And it, it uh, tied in something with um, I keep wanting to say Karen Gillian, but I know that's the chick from freaking Doctor Who. Uh, I don't remember the author's name. She she wrote a bunch of the Gears of War books. I just can't remember her name. Oh, I I know who you mean. Yeah, uh, brain fart. Insert editor's note. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh shoot okay fine i'm i'm gonna keep moving my mouth and making verbal noises while i google this because that's what you do but yeah he co-wrote some stuff with her where it was really uh really brutal and it was something you didn't really get to see in the star wars universe and he was really proud of that and I, i'm also interested in uh karen travis Karen Travis. Okay, I think it was, yeah, Karen Travis. I'm pretty sure that's who it was that, that wrote it. And I spontaneously remember that, and you didn't hear any uh, any any phone usage. Uh-huh. Right. So, yeah, there was that. And I don't know if you remember, geez, it must have been about four or five years ago, I think. And I the, the name of the author is escaping me. It's in one of these boxes in my garage somewhere. They... Right around Halloween, they released a Star Wars Expanded Universe book called Death Troopers. Was that the zombie book? That was the zombie book with Han Solo and Chewie. I, yes, I, I do recall that. I have a hardcover copy of it somewhere in this, in, in one of my boxed-up uh, book collection boxes. And that was fucking... It, it was definitely like a, a Star Wars horror book. And I had never, I had never seen anything like it before, and that that was that was a cool like uh, alternate look at the Star Wars universe that involved a little gore, which was really neat. There was a almost eight years ago now, IDW did a it was like a line wide zombie uh, like infection, and they did it through all their licensed books. So there's like a in the Star Trek like original motion picture uniforms, there's a Captain Kirk like zombie sort of story. <laughs> awesome. Infestation is what I think it was called. Ah, uh, oh jeez. <sighs> infestation. Okay, so you say infestation, and that reminds me of Voyager, which I am well on to season three of now. And I know we're just fucking hitting tangents like a motherfucker, but you know what? Who cares? Yeah, they haven't jumped the shark yet. Actually, I think season three is probably the best season. I thought every season got better, and. I remembered season four being terrible, and then it's the season uh, finale of three and the season premiere of four I thought was great, and it was like every episode got better, and it just, it plateaus. It's just like, you can, there's a very clear divide in that series. It's like they just right. and and just wanted to do Die Hard in Space. Yeah, and there were, yeah, exactly. Every season of that show had some clunkers. There's an episode, and I was so surprised how many people thought it was amazing. It was from, I think, season three. It might have been two, where, like, Neelix and Janeway are off the ship, and they come back, and everybody's infested with these, like, bugs. Yeah. Which is, like, a macrovirus. Yeah, the macro macrocosm was the name of the episode. 
Yeah, everybody, like, raves about that. I remember not liking it as a kid, and as an adult, I went from not liking it to, 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 to like, actual loathing. Because it's, they so wanted a Janeway versus Alien, and it just didn't work. Yeah, it At least was, for me. You know, it was, it wasn't the best one. Um, it was, because if you have a, 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 this medical emergency that's taken out all the biological organisms on the ship... My very first call would have been to the doctor. They don't like try to like talk to him about it until two thirds through the episode. Yeah, yeah, and, and it was, was not the best. Lord, uh, I I will I will give season three a lot of credit though. I know we had talked about this earlier where it felt like there wasn't an overarching story. Like you could have mixed and matched the episodes in season one and two, and yeah. you you wouldn't have known where anything was. I think season three is where you finally see them start telling some serialized storylines where there are plot points that are going on uh, continuously in the background that are are always like. Are you talking about the Jacote stuff, like with his son, or was that season two? That was season two. Uh, yeah, that was season two. Season three, it's more interpersonal stuff. It's um, you know they 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 get to a new section of space. The Necrid expands. So so that is their journey through. That's always talked about. Uh, you've got the uh, you've got the the fallout from the the Neelix breakup, which is continued. You know, it's not overtly alluded to, but it is stuff that goes on in the backgrounds where it might be an aside. Whereas where. Kessel mentioned something about, well, since I've broken up with Neelix, you know, I've decided to expand my horizons a little bit. There's that. There's the 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 Paris freaking Bolana freaking romance going on in the background as well, which you, you see them kind of, you know, they're playing off of each other, but always moving slightly more forward with their relationship as the season has progressed. What else? What else? And, and you see some previous. Th- there are little mentions of things that happened earlier in the season. Uh, I was not noticing that stuff in in season one and season two. The show just—I don't want to say upsets me. It just—I I think of all the shows, it had the strongest premise. You're alone. You have no backup, and you're in an area of space where all the known rules no longer apply. And it should have been what Deep Space Nine was, because I think Deep Space Nine had so much character building, so much... Uh, every episode after that first season felt like it was building to something. You could have really ratcheted up the drama of Voyager. And what really annoys me about... so Because like, you can tell those first few seasons, they were really, uh, really shy about doing too much damage to the ship, because they didn't want to answer questions like, you know, this would have taken a star base, you know, three weeks to repair the damage. You can't go into that next episode and have everything fine again. And they just, they jumped the shark on that, I think, somewhere in either season three or four. Oh, and season three, wor- for sure. Yeah, it gets worse and worse, where it's just like, man, the ship's like, just got the shit kicked out of it. And, like, the next episode, and they're like, man, we're not going to be able to make, like, Blast Warp 3 for months. And it's like, the next episode... Everything is spit polished again. Even things like we're not—I'm not a hundred percent sure they could make new photon torpedoes. And you saw like Janeway in the first few seasons being real hesitant to use those. And it seemed as they went on, I was like, "No, fire ten of those fucking." Yeah, fire, fire a spread, go. Yeah, and I think that would have been more interesting if 
almost like the the new Battlestar Galactica, where every encounter mattered. And if they lost the Viper, it's like, man, we're gonna we're gonna have to go through the wrecks and put one to get. Like, a yeah. running joke through Voyager was, man, at what point do you stop using fucking shuttlecraft? <laughs> yeah, because it, it was clearly not an acceptable risk. Because I mean, if you look. I'm not sure how many mundane, successful epi- like of missions we didn't see between episodes, but I mean, if you like just look at what's canon, what was in the episodes, it's like eighty something percent of the time they use a shuttle, they lose it. Yeah, it's like half the crew who die on Voyager was in like shuttle-related accidents. At what point do you just say, "No, I don't care if it adds a few days to our journey. We're not going to split off and leave like a you know a Type Two shuttlecraft." It's just, we just, we know there's an 80% chance of it getting fucked. Let's just, just take the whole ship that way. Yeah. And again, I'm not sure if they had the resources. If this was like the Enterprise D out there, that ship had better ways of managing uh, dwindling energy reserves and had a lot of fabrication industrial units to be able to do, I think, like more of the creating new shuttlecraft. So I don't. I don't know. I, I've gone way in the weeds with Voyager and how Star Trek, like how the, how is energy created in the ship? I know like the warp drive does it, but what powers the warp drive besides the lithium crystals? And I've gone way into the weeds on that shit. And <laughs> power reserves for the holodecks and how they use a separate system. And because you see the show uses trans or uh, replicator rations. Yeah. And if that makes sense or not from an energy perspective, and it's so easy to go into the fucking weed, like the, the weeds into that shit. And I, I've totally gone into left field. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what we're about. And yes, it's there. There are definitely the aspect of the, the replicator rations and all that shit is kind of jumping the shark. Uh, the, the constant not- damage to the ship. I mean, how many fucking times did Voyager get taken over? The, the replicator rations, I've always been critical of, and I've actually come away with a different perspective, because we don't necessarily... Because my understanding is the replicators are powered by the, the, the warp engines. Some people have said you can also use the, uh, the impulse engines to, like, the fusion reactors as well. But if you know you're going on a 70-year journey where it seems shitty to say, I don't want you to make sloppy joes because that's going to be a minuscule amount of energy when you know that you're going to have, because it's not just the lithium, there's other components to the warp engines and some of the stuff needs to be, I'm blanking now, like refined, you know, uh, to, to be usable. So on a 70, if you have a 70 year journey, you don't want to be running in year 60. We would have made it if we had used the replicators less. So in the short term, it seems stupid. But if you look at it from, you know, like a almost century long journey, every little bit of energy might make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was Voyager, the, the, the Voyager uh, show dungeon. Everybody. Yep. Voyager minute right there. <laughs> it's, it's funny because, uh, Garrett Wang, who played Ensign Kim, was at the Motor City Comic Con. Oh, really? Wow. Did you see that the Star Trek Online guys? He was. They were unveiling some new, like some new content several years ago, where you got to see, like, they got the uh, Garrett Wang to do to voice Kim. And when they had like a press uh, conference for it, they presented him with a lieutenant's pip. 
No. <laughs> he never got it on yeah, he never got one on the show. <laughs> he never got promoted. <laughs> You know that seems like to be a running joke on the show. Where it's like everyone, er, everyone says there is room for advancement on this ship. The the fucking rank system was so just fucked up on Voyager. Because if you looked at Tuvok's rank that first season, he kept, he had for like almost half the first season Lieutenant Commander's pips on, but they kept calling him Lieutenant Tuvok. Yeah. And have we done this on the air before? What rank do you think Chakotay was? He's a commander, but I think, okay, I think since the uh, the Maquis crew were field commissions, they have a different insignia. Correct. And the insignia that he wears, if it's because you see, it's still it's got like the lines, like solid lines, and like a black line to signify the same thing as Pips. He wears the equivalent of a lieutenant commander's rank, but every time you see his like service record or whatever, it doesn't say lieutenant commander. It says commander. Huh. So, so if you go on like memory alpha, if you go on anywhere on the internet, it's hotly contested. People will fucking throw down if he was a commander or lieutenant commander. And I don't know. I, I'm so glad we're recording this because I've, I've put together a fan theory that I'm rather proud of. Okay. So... Janeway, especially those first few seasons, she was spit and polished everything by the book, right? Right. Everything is Starfleet. We're not bending any of the <clears throat> rules. Star, she didn't make up those provisional rank. There was something in the, uh, I want to say like the U.S. Army, it was I think 670-1, that was the uniform yes. like manual. She went through like Starfleet's uniform manual, and there was, I think, a chapter, field commissions for you know non-Starfleet personnel. This is what the rank looks like. This is, you know, there's there's regulations for this. You would have, you know, a chief petty officer, or we didn't see a lot of enlisted ranks, obviously, in, like, the, the televised shows, but there would be, you would make sense, you would have ensigns and lieutenant junior grades and lieutenants, while you would have those lower-ranking officers. If, in a command structure, you know, every ship has one captain, one commander, you know, that, and that captain, the commander might be, their actual rank might be lieutenant or lieutenant commander, but you have a command structure where you have that captain and you know, it's their executive officer. It would make sense where Starfleet wouldn't think you would need, you're not going to give a civilian like the provisional rank of captain. Right. You know, you would have, so it would make sense that it's like, oh, we don't have a provisional admiral rank or provisional captain rank. I think that they, they Starfleet wouldn't see a situation where you needed a provisional rank for the the first officer for a commander right so especially if you look at like a lot of the smaller ships would be captained by a lieutenant commander or commander that a full commander in starfleet that was still a very high you know and it's not a captain but they could still do like a lot of high-ranking things yeah it's just again that is a command level like officer there you wouldn't necessarily see why you would promote, say, a civilian to an acting role in that. So I think that she gave him Lieutenant Commander's pips because she was not going to... I can't give you a Commander one because it doesn't exist, but you are in the computer. You have the rank and privilege of a Commander. And that is my theory. I have solved it, Internet. Your theory appears to be based on sound logic. Thank you. Because it's if you look on the internet, there are some nasty fucking fan arguments. Like fuck you, he wore those pits every day. They didn't make a mistake for seven years. Like fuck you, it gets it, it gets nasty. Have you have you seen some of the comments that Jacote had made about the show? The actor who played Jacote. No, 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 I have not. 
I've heard they were colorful. Yeah, he's pissed off some of the fans, but I think I mean I think he's like right. He he would say, "Can't we just cut a scene where we talk about the warp engines for a minute and actually have like some more character interactions?" And it just didn't seem like he was a a, a fan of the redundant vil, uh, just just diehard in space stories that they went to. He wanted to see more character driven stuff, which I feel that's absolutely right. That a lot of the plots to Voyager felt derivative and they didn't have a lot of character advancement. So I think he was absolutely right with those criticisms. He also said that he thought the prime directive was a fascist policy that if you see somebody who needs help, you should help them. Right. I agree with that in theory, but I think the prime directive, you see it violated when like, Hey, there's no reason for us not to help these people. But I think it's absolutely a great policy that before you just step in and arbitrarily make a change, to be mindful of the side effects that that could have, to look at the possible ramifications. And I think that's what this, the Prime Directive was about. And some people could be more heavy-handed than others in applying it, but just saying just because you can do something, you should, I think that the Prime Directive is more about reflecting. Yeah. So I disagree with him on that, but in theory, I agree. If you can help, you should help. Fair enough. Man, we are in the weeds. Oh, we are so fucking in the weeds, man. Um... <laughs> <laughs> uh we are in the weeds we are at an hour and a half do we want to maybe maybe table the uh the potpourri for uh, another time i can't i can't disagree with that well i know what time it is for you because i i don't disagree with that because like i said it we have w- one or two podcasts that I'm like any day now i think we're going to schedule something to an actual time that works for everybody to get some people to, to who would guest star. Because uh, we're going to do these potpourri episodes periodically. So if we don't necessarily get it done now, I think, say, if we put it off a week or two, yeah. we might have, again, those like uh, two guests on, and we would all share a book. Because, again, I th- we talked about this last week, you got, or last night, you guys weren't pretty to it, where we're not going through with the same detail we go through Kill Raven. The book that I chose... I actually read both books in the series, and it's going to be a 10 or 15 minute. And I, I guess as you guys ask me questions, I'll go a little bit longer. Probably not if we have three or four people, but you know, it's not going to be the same level of detail. And I like that idea, like a more of a freestyle, less in-depth look. Yeah, so yeah we can. Uh, this was a con special. We talked about some books, so I feel we were successful. We talked about this was definitely a potpourri episode. Yeah, oh yeah, this is absolutely a potpourri episode. I, I, I think uh, we. While, while we were freewheeling and very tangential, uh, I think we kept the subjects changing around quickly and often enough that it didn't get stale. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I think we have a lot for people if they want to comment on it. Yeah. And if you're, you guys are up, because the book I chose, I was doing the uh, 1989 Nightmare on Elm Street Marvel series, and you chose uh, God, Country. God Country. Yeah. So uh, these are two very different books. These, so if you were like, you guys need to shut the fuck up. I need to hear about God Country. Let us know that. If you like this sort of format and you like, because I, I have horrific ADD. And I'm sure anybody who listens to the show understands. <laughs> I have like weaponized ADD. <laughs> and I get bored quickly. I like podcasts that do kind of shift around and, I like, because if I were listening to our podcast, say if I found our podcast two or three years from now, 
I would like being able to go through all the amazing adventures, kill Raven stuff, but I would also like that there are episode breaks where we're talking about other shit, like Punisher, and we did this whole just kind of freewheeling episode. Yep. I and just I, and we talked about this I think two episodes ago. That is creators, we like we don't want to feel stifled, and I guess maybe creators a, a very generous term for us talking about pop culture shit. But you guys get the idea. Yep. Oh yeah, absolutely, and. Yeah, I, I think this is a, this 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 episode's been a really good just uh, a good palate cleanser, if you would. Uh, I've had a blast. Yeah, I, I've had I've had a good time with it. We've definitely, I mean, we were riffing off of each other. We were we were just, I mean, organically flowing from one thing to another, which was awesome. I mean, I'm more than happy to to shelve God Country for a minute. I mean, uh, it actually. Uh, I actually thought about maybe just bringing it with me uh, next weekend when you guys are out here, and maybe we could record something in person. Yeah, I'll bring uh, I'll bring the interview mic. Yeah, after we put the wives to bed. Yeah, I'm definitely I'm I think that would be awesome because uh, I don't think it makes it people don't necessarily understand. Like I'm in Michigan right now, you're in California. We have never done a recording face to face. In the last five years, I've seen you in person, like, once. Yeah. And I know I listen to other podcasts where they do the same thing, and it's just, it's it's funny, as, like, a listener, you might not realize that, like, the people you hear talking to each other probably have not been, like, I, I listen to podcasts where these people have never, say if there's four hosts, ever been in the same place at the same time to record. Right, yeah, and that's usually, like, uh, <laughs> one of the more troublesome aspects of trying to do a show is, is getting that to work. So, yeah, I'm excited if we could get, yeah, we, we might, yeah, like you said, Table of God Country and Nightmare on Elm Street um, for uh, for next week. Yeah. And like I said, um, I, I, again, this is all relative, but I'm hoping to have episode 14. It's just about done. So that will be up, which again was kind of a more freewheeling episode. That should be up uh, before I leave for California. I kind of want to put a challenge out to our listeners because I know you guys are out there. We've done some, actually, for us, real staggering numbers this April and May. We know that you're out there. We're getting a lot of creator feedback now. We haven't gotten as much listener feedback. And I know a lot of you guys keep coming back because we get metrics on this. And I see, like, the same sort of areas of the country or the same countries. So I want to hear feedback from you guys. Not to sound like a stalker. You know, it's not like I get your home address. (laughs) If I did, I wouldn't admit it. But, uh... (laughs) <laughs> so I'm not. Yeah, I'm talking to you, asshole, in his boxer shorts on the elliptical, listening to this right now. <laughs> Beware suspicious packages. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be in that uh uh that uh that jeep or that fucking white ambulance that's circling in your house. Me and the Ghostbusters. Oh, shit. Um, but uh, again, <sighs> our website, comicbookdungeonpodcast.com. Our email address, comicbookdungeonpodcast at gmail.com. Our Instagram, Com- which, comicbookdungeonpodcast at Instagram. Um, I'm on Twitter at BrokenLMD, uh, Life Model Decoy, so BrokenLMD. Yeah, if you guys get back to us, give us some comments, give us some critiques. Like, your guys' mics suck. And Mark was walking around that whole episode, so he was echoing. He's kind of a bitch. I need to, you know, if you give us this feedback or... I think we talked about two episodes ago what we're doing. We're, we only have, I think, like, what, eight issues or something, eight to ten issues of Kill Raven left. 
and then we're we're totally fucking shifting completely. We're going to every other every other episode going back from uh, Star Trek the Motion Picture from 1980 Marvel Comics to Marvel Comics Godzilla from the mid 1970s. So we're going to have two series going at once. So that's going to be a radical departure. And I think we're going to get a lot more listeners because this is more uh, mainstream compared to Kill Raven. Yeah. Nobody is. Yeah. Nobody. No. Even the even the old grizzled motherfuckers that I'm like, yeah, we cover some old Marvel stuff. And they're like, oh, yeah, really? What? I see. Kill. You know, I see uh, Astonishing Adventures, War of the Worlds, Kill Raven. They're like, kill who, motherfucker? And I'm like, kill Raven, dude. It's like, you never heard of him? They're like, uh, no. So this is this is a deep dive. It's been really good though. I've really enjoyed Kill Raven, uh, and that's I think that's why we wanted to do it as our, our first episode or our first series we covered because it's one that's not easily accessible now. So for a lot of people, this is the only way they're going to be able to experience these books is through our uh, odd and slightly disjointed commentary. D- yeah, definitely slightly disjointed and a little odd for sure. Uh, vulgar even even though but i i think we i think we have high expectations of our comic book characters i uh i want to send you guys back to episode one which i'm sure is probably borderline unlistenable because i didn't know anything about editing and gave up at one point (laughs) (laughs) but we listed like 30 different titles that we were considering covering or if you guys thought like here here's a graphic novel or here's like a one shot that i think would be really funny if you guys did or this is another weird fucking thing that nobody remembers do it send us those ideas if you're a local creator or if you're like a small-time comic creator who wants to get their book out there send us uh the name of it if it's on comiXology i'll take a look at it if you want to send us like a pdf or a link or just something we'll review it on the show and like i've told other creators i mean if it's not good I mean, I'm not going to slam it and say shit, but I'm not going to say it's good if it's not. But, I mean, we will give you I, – like I told somebody, we're not an asshole. We're not going to be per- overly mean about it, but we'll give you some real feedback. So, yeah, I mean, it's just give you – you guys need to start uh, giving us some of this good feedback. Again, we're trying to create a community here, and – this is your show like it's our show, so give us that good uh, response. And, uh, again, it will it will only make this product better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Any feedback's welcome, and any engagement is, of course, welcome, and we will respond uh, as quickly and promptly as possible. And if you give us any reviews on iTunes that's less than five stars, I'm going to burn my house down. I th- so don't be responsible for that. I think you got it wrong. Maybe you're going to burn their house down. <laughs> or maybe we'll just burn all the houses down. You know, we'll, you know, burn your house down, and then go burn their house down, and then we'll just start burning houses down all over the place. Just as a disclaimer, you should probably never take advice from a podcast, especially one that involves acts of vandalism. Yeah, 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 and shit hammocks. <laughs> so again, if you guys want to talk about shit hammocks, arson, comic books, comicbookdungeon at gmail.com. <laughs> comic book touching podcast on instagram yes. i'm sorry I, I just realized how much of a callback us talking about fecal matter is we talk about it a lot we do. But, i mean that's we took a break that, that's something it, it unites us all and we didn't record this but uh while we were uh three wise men you know they came 
like 15 minutes before we started recording and to kind of just worm things up. I don't know how we got onto shit, but uh, we started to talk about shit. And even despite the fact that I didn't know these guys, I told them a great story about me when I was in the army shitting my pants. <laughs> and that was like one of the first things I told them about. And you know what? I'm not going to tell that story here. If you guys want to know that story, somebody's going to have to write in at comicbookdungeonpodcast at gmail.com, subject, Mark shitting his pants, and make a request, or leave an iTunes review that says, I want to hear about Mark shitting his pants, or on, uh, on, on Twitter, I want to get a tweet out of nowhere, like, hey, bitch, tell me about you shitting your pants. Oh, shit. Oh. I'm not even setting the bar high, like, we need 100 people. I just, one request, one. if one person wants me to talk about me shitting my pants, if they want me to put out that public degradation, I will tell the story. <laughs> I I think it's a funny story. Your mom's going to write in. <laughs> we, we, I talked to my, my wife about how problematic it is that my mom listens to the show. Uh, at least your mom listens to the show. I mean, you've got some support there. I I understand that, but, you know, it's just... There are some things that, uh, some jokes that I kind of don't make or lines I don't cross because I'm like, man, you don't want to make that casual jizz reference because, uh, my mom's going to listen. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, no, no, absolutely not. It's like I know my wife might listen to it, so I don't talk about the affairs. Oh, yeah, there you go. That's good. You shouldn't. All those hot freaking Comic Con interactions with Harley Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> I think I told the story on here the first time I went to C2E2, and there was a woman, and I don't know what her costume was supposed to be. She was just wearing, like, like a green, like, just, just spandex. And as she was walking, her giant boob just, like, flopped out, and she took a couple steps without realizing it, and her just boob was just, just naked and just flapping. And she's like, oh, and she just put it away. And I, I don't get me wrong. I am not body shaming anybody. If you feel confident to wear a costume do so but it's you can't show penis you can't show vagina and you can't show boobs those are like the that's kind of the in the united states that's the social covenant on nudity that we've all kind of engaged in so if you have a costume where you're going to take three steps and not realize like your nipple which is at like little kid eye level might actually hit him in the like your naked boob might clock a little kid there's an issue here that i think you're having a a wardrobe malfunction that has made this unsafe for public consumption. (laughs) Oh man. Uh, All right. (sighs) So yeah, we've, we've plugged ourselves. We've plugged Joey. Um, Anything else you want to plug? No, I, uh, I realized I've kind of backed myself into a corner here because I, I normally will say something about Marvel and then, or I've been lately pulling something funny from the comics we covered. We didn't really pull, (laughs) <laughs> we didn't really talk about a comic, so I don't really have any little funny one-liner at the end of the show. Ah. This is bleak. Yeah, well, okay. See, if you ever want to do a study into uh, the uh, tensile strength of toilet paper, I strongly suggest you go on Reddit and look up shit hammocks and just have fun with that, okay? Let's just let's just leave it at shit hammocks, okay? Shit hammocks. Go look it up. It's entertaining and disgusting all in one. Uh, on, on that note, oh. for me, uh, go go on, go on. I was going to say, talking about shit hammocks, if you want to read a shit hammock in comic book form, I suggest you read all 177 issues of Civil War II. Wow. 
on that note, uh, keep turning them pages. You guys have a Unless good night. Unless it's Civil War Two. <laughs> fuck. Good night, everybody. Oh man, what the fuck? Man, I hope we get some feedback. Civil War Two is my favorite comic book ever, and only a baby kicks their pants. Fuck you. Oh man. <laughs>